Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive, blocked by Jackson. Bane, step back three. Bingo! Hello, Grizzly fans. Welcome to this edition of The Core Four. It's one of the featured podcasts on the Bluff City Media Podcast Network. We are taping this show on Monday evening, March 20th, 2023. On this episode, we'll look back at the encouraging week that saw the Grizzlies win three of four games since our last taping, punctuated by a resounding 133-119 to victory versus the defending champion Golden State Warriors. Now, given some of the injuries we've had to deal with, as well as the drama around John Morant, we should feel very proud of the effort the team has displayed in victories over Dallas, San Antonio, and as I mentioned, the Warriors. And there seems to be some renewed optimism as Memphis is racing towards the end of the season and then the upcoming playoffs. My name is David Buckler, and usually I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Gill and Xavier Dodson. However, Xavier's unable to join us today. So, Matt, you and I will be holding down the fort this week. How you been? I'm great, man. Yeah, Xavier had to take the night off for uh, load management. Uh, so, yeah. we'll get, <laughs> so we'll catch him. Uh, yeah, so if there were any kids who this was their first episode turning tuning into the core four, and they're like, where's Xavier? Load management, kids. I mean, it's, it's hitting everybody this year. Yeah, we're going to hear uh, from Adam Silver real soon, probably, right? Yeah, exactly. Everybody's going to be um, hitting us for that. But no, all jokes aside, we'll uh, we'll catch Xavier next week. We always miss him um, for sure. But check him out on Twitter. Obviously, he's going to be active all week, uh, posting those videos and stuff for him, uh, for us on Bluff City Media as well as the podcast as well. So check Xavier out, As even though we're uh, going to run a little two-man game today. But we'll uh, we'll survive. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. And it's such an exciting time of year for basketball, professional basketball, and of course, NCAA March Madness. I want to touch on real quick. The Tennessee Volunteers had a great first weekend of the tournament, huh? They did, man. I mean, you um, take care of business in the first round against Louisiana, which was not a given. If you guys remember, I mean, they lost to Oregon State in the first round. And Oregon State stunk. They were one of the worst teams in the Pac-12. It just went on a crazy run there towards the end of the season. Um, there's been a, a, a handful of bad tournament losses uh they were part of the the couple schools that got upset uh by sister Jean and those boys up in chicago during that run um so look i i have going into this season i said i know who rick Barnes is he is a november to february coach i don't have very high expectations and now you look at it and you look at their path they got to play fau who they have a massive dude in the middle, seven <laughs> one is like a more athletic Zach Eady, uh, and they have a couple guys who can knock down open shots. So if everything goes right for them, they have they have a really good chance of beating the Vols. Um, that's not a team that should be overlooked by any means. But if you are looking ahead, I love the Vols' path going forward. After FAU, they're going to get the winner of Kansas State and Michigan State, and uh, you know. Throughout this tournament, as is the case in most years in college basketball, it is littered with younger teams, and the Vols mm -hmm. are an older team. They have guys who have been playing, it seems like, six or seven years now, um, especially Vescovy and, uh, you know, Euros going back a couple years. You know, we were all fighting for him to even get on the court. You know, the NCAA had to look through his transfer from Arizona State. So there's guys who have been through the ringer here. There's not a ton of freshmen. Julian Phillips, obviously, is the big freshman contributor, but I mean, the, the other part that people are going to have to watch, and, and I'll get off the vaults here in just a second, but the Kai Ziegler, you know, who was a, a, a huge piece of this team the last two years and was a beloved Tennessee ball, goes down in the SEC tournament. And, um, you know, it's been point guard by committee, basically, since he went back down. So that's another thing that they have 
going against them is the ball handling and the turnover numbers are something they're going to have to keep an eye on. And um, they are good enough defensively to where they can, you know, win the turnover battle and they can hold any team to under 60 points as if they can score 60 points themselves. That is the question, but I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a great second weekend. It is. I'm happy for you. And and I always like the second weekend a little bit better. You know, some, some really, really good matchups coming up in the Sweet 16 starting on Thursday. But I thought the, the funniest thing I heard uh, coming out of the, the first two rounds, what, Princeton moving on to the Sweet 16. And, and I heard someone say, finally, something good has happened for Princeton graduates. I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> finally, so, you know, Princeton can be proud of something, finally. Uh, so great, great, uh, great first weekend for the, for the basketball, no question. We had a good week, Matt, of Grizzly basketball, three out of four victories. And before we get into our regular segments for the show, I did want to get your thoughts on that stunning 29-point comeback against San Antonio. And do you think this could be a turning point? Did it feel like more than a victory, maybe a uniting moment for this team? I think people think that, and I think maybe even the team maybe looks at it that way. But to me, it's like, why were you even down almost 30 to San Antonio? That's nothing to, like, be proud of, that you had to get your guys – you know, you had to get yourself up in the second half to make the – you know, to set the record for the franchise's biggest comeback in history. Like, they should not be in that position at this point in the year where they're fighting for that number two seed that me and you keep talking about. Like, it's super important, and you can't just roll into games against San Antonio and be like, all right, well, this is a win. Knock this one down for us, and we're going to move on, and we're going to have another game, uh, you know, where we're closer to solidifying ourselves as the number two seed in the West. You can't just expect wins like that. And they got a couple more of those games coming up. Like, a lot of people say the Memphis Grizzlies have such an easy schedule, you know, to finish out the season, and that's why a lot of people think that they can – get back to that number two seed solely, but not if they come off the bus looking like that. I mean, yeah, it's a great comeback, but you got to come off the bus ready to play those games. I mean, there's pros too, but the other part of it is, I mean, those teams like San Antonio, they are committed to losing at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I would feel a lot better. Like if it was against Golden State that they made this comeback or even just a 20 point comeback, even if it wasn't the the biggest in franchise history, like that's way more impressive to me than against San Antonio, who's actively trying to get Victor Wimbanyama as they should. But like, I I don't think that this is like going to be I don't think when when we look at back at this season, that's not a game that I don't think a lot of people should remember. Maybe they will, but like if they win the title, I don't think that's on the championship DVD in my opinion. No, it's a great point. And in a long season, some regular season games feel a bit more important, but I, I agree with you. And, and it's a roller coaster, Matt, right? Because they come back from 29 against San Antonio when it was a real head scratcher, why they were even in that position, as you say. And then I thought they looked fantastic against the golden state warriors and got a real nice win. And whether you want to call it a rivalry or not, I don't care. It's you know, it's certainly fun to beat Golden State. But this is a concerning week, I think, because we play Dallas again tonight. You hope, you know, it's very difficult to beat a team three times. You always say that in college football, right? It's always, or in the NFL, it's always difficult to beat a team more than once in a season. Now, this is the third time we've seen the Mavericks in, what, eight, nine days? Yeah, And so it's it makes me a little nervous. And then we have the Wednesday-Friday games with Houston, both at home, and you hope they come out ready to play those games. Houston, I believe, nipped the Celtics recently. Yep. And as you mentioned, they're all professionals. And then they play at Atlanta Sunday. And I'm looking at that schedule thing, and the next time we get together to talk, should be a 4-0 week, but I hope we don't get a little complacent and trip up on one of those or maybe two or three of these games. Is that fair? 
Yeah, definitely. And I think the the fun part about the Dallas thing, it's, um, you know, we'll see who ends up playing in, in that game on the Dallas side. Like, it may not be something, you know, up to what their roster will look like in the playoffs. But the fact that we've played them so many times in such a short amount of time does kind of give, like, that playoff edge to it where, like, you can learn the rotations of this other team, especially if you're on the Dallas side of things. Like, you've lost to them. And now you have the ability to like make the adjustments in a very short amount of time, similar to like mm-hmm. what we'll see in the playoffs. So like from that aspect of it, I think it's super valuable. It's a weird schedule quirk, especially for a team that you, you know, is in your division or whatever. But um, you know, I, I, it, again, it's so hard for me to take anything away from this time period in the Grizzlies with no jaw, no Steven Adams. And, and, you know, we're playing teams like the Spurs and, you know, Luca may not play, you know, Luca and Kyrie didn't play the last Dallas game. Who knows what happens tonight? And, uh, you know, so it's hard for me to like, even if they win by 20, like, I don't even know what to make of that necessarily. So it's, it's hard, but it is an interesting thing to see. I'm more interested in the coaching aspect of it. If this is a close game, it's a testament to the fact that Jason Kidd has made really good adjustments for his team and that the Grizzlies can be exposed um, if they're in these playoff series where teams know each other really well. So from that aspect, I mean, I think it's a super interesting matchup. And the other t- games, like you said, like the Hawks are in the middle of a, you know, a race to kind of improve their seating in the West. And we'll talk about playoff seating a little bit later, but like they want to improve where their standing is. They want to try and get out of that playing game if they can. And, you know, so that's not going to be a walkover game by any means, but who knows? I mean, John might be back and all might be right in the world in terms of the Memphis Grizzlies. I think you said something, Matt, I'm not sure I ever heard before. Jason Kidd may make some adjustments for his team. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad example, but just the fact that I, I think that that's one of the most interesting things in the playoffs is like you see teams so much that even bad coaches eventually are going to figure out what the other team is doing, right? They're yeah. trying to do. And or then they do hopefully. Get exposed, right? Yeah, or they yeah. get exposed, right? Because we, we always think that the NBA coaching doesn't matter. But you can't overcome bad coaching for sure. And I think that there is a, a separation when you, we see a team that's really well coached. So Miami Heat come to mind. I think Spolster does a really good job. All those years that, that uh, I thought Popovich did a good, good job in San Antonio. I know he had talent. But I think you still need a high, a high IQ coaching staff around you to really maximize and take your team to the next level. So it's just funny. Jason Kidd, who and, was, you know, a and, Hall of Fame player, no question. Yeah, but, and uh, not and not it doesn't seem like he loves coaching these guys, by the way. Yeah. Ever since they got Kyrie, it's like, you know, I can only handle so much. Him and Nate Oates should write a coaching book together. It's like I, I can't, you know, I'm watching from where you guys are. I can't control what they do in the shoot arounds. It's like, well, you can't. I mean, you're the coach. You should have some ability to say, but yeah, I mean, tough spot for him. But uh, yeah, you know, I I like Jason Kidd. I think he's he's he deserves a chance at least to show that he is a good coach if they uh, make a good playoff run like it shouldn't all be put on the fact that Luca is this incredible player even though he is and he's done it with other coaches and stuff like that but I don't know I, I don't think Jason Kidd's the worst coach in the league but I would take Taylor Jenkins over him for sure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on that note let's uh, talk about the regular segments that we'll have on the show today we're going to embrace debate have climbing corner and the hot not segments that we've had before we do have a new segment today the crystal ball what a what a genius name Matt. I know it, it took me all of four seconds to come up with that but we're going to have the crystal ball later where we peer deep into the near future as the NBA playoffs are fast approaching. And we'll take a look at what we think the first round matchups will be as those are taking shape. But let's jump into our first segment. 
Okay, on Embrace Debate this week, I want to have an honest conversation about the John Morant team mandated and then NBA amended suspension. There's a lot of talk. I'm excited for Jaw's return, so I'm skeptical that this short amount of time away is sufficient to adequately to adequately address some seemingly real issues that Jaw's dealing with. Matt, please share your thoughts as we await Jaw's on-court return. Well, the some of the predictions I've made about it, I, I have seen come true. I thought that it was definitely very likely that he would make a return in this time period. Um, and that was before the league kind of added their couple games or whatever. And, and I figured they were going to do some kind of time served kind of deal where it was like, all right, he's missed this amount of games. There's a lot that's like super weird about it to me though. Um, and, and as I said, like I expected him to come back like on a non-national TV game against a team like the Rockets um, at home where like he's going to be as safe as possible returning to basketball. Like I think that that was a very smart move and like was always going to be the plan no matter what and bringing him back. I don't, I, I think one thing that you know, I think that you'll you may touch on. Like I, I think that they, the the length of time that the NBA mandated for him to be gone was the right number because it was found in their investigation. It wasn't his gun, and it wasn't on in a team facility or on the team plane or whatever. So from that aspect of it, like, I, I don't really see it, – it's kind of like a murky area of, like, so what exactly did he do wrong? The, the Colorado police concluded their investigation and didn't find, like, he did any – he had any criminal wrongdoing. But the fact that they're calling it, you know, detrimental to the league, I think is a fair assessment. I don't know that there's ever been a more, you know, fair way to say it than that or that they've ever used that terminology more – aptly than in this situation like what Ja did was detrimental to not only himself but definitely the league especially with the amount of star power that he carries and you know we've talked about like how big of a role model he is and all this stuff but I want to talk about the Jalen Rose sit down interview I just re-watched it and there's like a couple very weird things that jump out to me number one like before we even learned anything about jaw coming back and Jalen Rose was kind of speaking on behalf of, of, of Jalen as what he went through in his life. I don't know. I don't know that that was necessarily fair. Like I, I think that it's kind of apples and oranges in, in some way. And that Jalen kind of like wanted to, he saw some strange similarity and, and saw it as an opportunity for him to like have something interesting to say on TV and so for, from that aspect, like I, I didn't really I don't really see the comparison between the John Jalen situations. Well, right. uh, and I think that's why what he was trying to do is just to justify why he was the one interviewing him. Right. That right. there's some kind of connection between the two. So that's why Jalen Rose was chosen. Yeah. And 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 fine. That, that That's fine with me. But like that just beforehand, like that was um, I thought odd. And then yeah. once we get to the Jalen Rose jaw interview, one thing that was super weird was that he kept talking, Ja kept talking about himself in the third person. I felt, you know, I don't want to play, you know, like psychiatrist here, but I felt like that was a way of him kind of distancing himself from what happened. Like he was kind of talking about it as though Ja was a person who no longer exists or is like an alter ego kind of deal. And that the, that jaw can be a little bit outlandish and, and hard to 
you know, and, and, and makes poor decisions, basically. The other thing that was super weird was that Ja said everything was basically a lie. He said that the report um, with the mall incident was a lie. He said, and, th- and this is word for word, he said all of this stuff is a lie. He said the, the, you know, the incident with the kid at his house was a lie, and he can't wait to address all these things. And I just look at that and I say, I, I don't know that this kid learned, and I don't want to call him a kid. Ja's a, j- a grown man, but I, I don't look at John's and, and listen and hear that and say, like, he learned his lesson. Like, this is not a grand conspiracy against you, Ja. And I love Ja Morant. Like, he is obviously all of our favorite players. Mm-hmm. But we're concerned about him, like, in the future and, like, having to go through this whole situation again. If we never have to go through this situation again, and eight games is all that he missed um, in his whole career suspension-wise, then it's a great, you know, feel-good story about a, a guy who, who, you know, defied all odds to make it to the NBA and be a top 10, top five player. But like, to me, it just didn't sound like he got it. And and the length of time to go back to that for a second, I just don't see that as being long enough to address serious mental health and maybe possibly some violent tendencies. Like I, I, I just don't see it as the necessary time to go to a counseling center and like, be completely healed. I don't think that he's done with whatever this is yet is my, is what is where I land. I, I, I found a lot of it very odd. And that one more thing that, and this is all conspiracy type stuff that I'm kind of talking about reading way too far into it. But like the fact that he also in the Jalen Rose interview, he has none of his jewelry on, which we all know jaw loves. He is coming to do that interview right off, right after he had talked to Adam Silver. It all smells very reminiscent of like the did Jordan get shadow banned by Stern kind of deal. Like Silver sat him down and said, you've got to change your image completely. And that the Jalen Rose interview was the final piece of that reintroducing him to the league as a changed man. And I don't know that that is the case, possibly, hopefully. I'm rooting for him in every way, but I'm just a little bit dubious of the whole thing. And, and I, I find it odd. A lot of the pieces of it, I'll turn it over to you. That was a, that was a long winded answer <laughs> that, that somebody is going to listen to and be like, that dude sounds insane. And that's just how I, how I looked into all those things. Um, Cause I wanted to break it down as much as possible. And I may be way off who knows, but Dave, go ahead. No, I, I think there's just a lot to this. I remember the story came out about the Colorado strip club or where the place was. And my first reaction was there's a lot more to this than just this one night at a establishment with some girls and some money on the floor. And I think you go back to the pattern where there's some violent tendencies and some bullying kind of, you know, stories that came out the Indiana Pacers bus thing that and, and it, it, there's just a lot here that looks and feels like a team that's enabled their superstar because they don't mm-hmm. want to upset him. And he's a young man that has been given the world. And that is very difficult to handle, Matt. I didn't like the interview at all. Just yeah. being honest, you know, uh, I don't know who was calling for it. Like no one was demanding it, except I think Nike was demanding it. Because let's be honest, that shoe's supposed to come out April 1st. And you can't have your shoe spokesperson in a mental health facility at the big drop of of this whole. And I think Nike, which has such a huge partnership with the NBA, they have it for years. They they can't be thrilled about this. 
Yeah. And so I think when Stern talked to him, I'm sorry, Stern. I think when Adam Silver talked to him, part of that is, look, you have a responsibility now. And I didn't like the interview. And he called himself we a couple of times. You mentioned calling him Ja. There were a couple of times he said, we, we, we. No, Ja, you. Yeah. You know, not we. You're the center of the hurricane. All the people around you, they're around you because you're the star. You're the one with all the money. And you're the one who can make changes. I, I think there's... Another part of this that's really, really interesting about he's now going to play again and be sort of right back in the center of all the NBA craziness. You, you know, it's I, I kind of felt he was going to take the rest of the season off, take yeah. the rest of the season off, take the summer off, get back with his team over the you know training camp, get Rainer. But now he's going to play like nothing ever happened. And it's just going to, the team's going to integrate him again. And he's going to be as brash and bold and confident as he was before this. I don't know, but the sincerity behind this is it's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old and I've seen a lot of people in my own personal life who have struggled with various things, Matt. And, and it takes a long time to undo patterns of behavior. You know, when he got um, innocent from the gun charge, people all over Twitter, like, all right, he's good to go. Leave him alone. That's yeah. not the only issue here, yeah. right? That's not the only concern, the gun charge. There's other concerns. And I, I, I want to also touch on this. You talk about, uh, you know, we're concerned for John. I'll tell you who's going to be concerned, too, is the owner of this basketball team, Rob yeah. Perra, because he's just signed him to a $200-plus-million-dollar five, um, five-year extension. You know, Robert Perra is not an idiot. He's the second richest owner in the NBA, and you don't make billions of dollars with a B by being stupid and, and not caring about your business investments. This cannot be sitting well that the face of his franchise is – a lot of people around the country now think he's a mess. Now, it could all be fine. It can all be fine in a couple weeks, a couple months, and maybe this all goes away. But I can't imagine the owner of this basketball team is just thrilled about this. And the final point I want to make on the job thing, people, did you see people went back, Matt, and, and dug up the Instagram from when he was 12 and all this kind of stuff? And, and, and I was talking to my stepson and some other people. They're like, leave it alone. And I said, you got to understand, John Morant now is not just an athlete. He is an NBA superstar and even more an interesting NBA superstar. You know, he's a story now. Yeah. You know, you don't get to make $50 million a year, plus a Nike deal, plus endorsements, plus having the world at your hands and get to control the narrative all the time on how you're covered. You know, we have presidents that get chipped away every single day in the media. We get celebrities, movie stars, singers. You, you know, the cost of celebrity is what and it's what Jai is a celebrity. He's not just an athlete. It, it's it's tricky, right? And you're gonna have people digging up things for clicks on the internet. Maybe that the when he was 12 years old, who cares on Instagram? But someone found it and someone's clicking on it. Someone's reading it and someone's talking about it. And it, it's it's a really fascinating thing. I I am less confident than most that he's gonna come back, integrate perfectly with the team, and we're just gonna roll through the playoffs on this John Morant revenge tour because you know as well as I do, Matt. The first time he goes out anywhere for a beer, people are going to over, overly criticize it, overly scrutinize it. I know they're not going to stay in road games. I wanted, What did you think of that, by the way, the, 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 the news that they're going to fly home? It seemed like the only option that, you know, whoever makes that call, I would assume is Taylor Jenkins, you know, and, and some, you know, and, and maybe Kleiman chips in and, and says, hey, like, let's think about this. And I'm sure it was more of a team decision 
and I don't just mean the basketball team, like the entire organization probably all had some kind of meeting about this. And, you know, I think Taylor Jenkins is a player's coach. I think his players love him and adore him. And I don't think that he would want to make that decision, you know, unilaterally and, and be that kind of like the guy that, that is ruining the fun, but it was the only option they had. They had to do this because you're right. Like, if Jaw does go out for a beer and is seen in public before this offseason, then I'm even I even feel further that he hasn't learned anything like that. There is no way that he should be caught in public. Like, dude, just sit in your hotel room. If you really like want to drink Casamigos that bad, like just hang out with Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson. I'm sure they would love. Yeah, but let, me push, let me push back on you because what people are going to say is, oh, come on. He's a young kid. Let him go. No, that's the whole point. When you become an NBA superstar making $50 million a year, you give up being a 23-year-old kid like you know we all were at one point just hanging out with buddies. Yeah. There's a different level of responsibility. Like the, the NBA superstar and the NFL quarterback are different animals when it comes to the professional sports world. If John Morant was the 11th man, I mentioned the Charlotte Hornets every broadcast for some reason. If he was the 11th man on the Charlotte Hornets, nobody would care. Yeah. But when you ascend to this level of fame and accomplishment and future earnings and all of these things, you know, he represents the NBA. I mean, it's a lot going on here. And it's I'm not saying I could even handle it. I feel for him a little bit. You know, for a kid who probably didn't have much growing up, you know, to now have all this this excess, it, it's tricky. But people are going to push back and say, well, come on, he should be able to go out and drink if he wants to drink. Or how about like when the kid threatened him, I guess, in the pickup ass when people are like, well, he should just punch him. I would have punched him. Yeah, you work like a nine to five job like the rest of us. You're not John Morant. Yeah. You know, yeah. Expectations of behavior has to be different. Yeah. And I mean, you know. The thing I'm thinking about, like, if, if he can't make it to the offseason without having to go out, like, that just speaks further to, like, he doesn't get it. Like, you're on the cusp of making a quarter of a billion dollar contract, like, about to kick in, and you can't go, what, three, four, five months, whatever, without, you know, going out in public and being seen and hanging out with the boys. Like, I get it. Like, I would want to do the same thing in his position. But I also think that, like, you have to have some moment of clarity. And and by the way, that's what he is saying. That is almost the thesis of the Jalen Rose, John Morant interview is that this eight days, what, you know, this month away, whatever, this couple of weeks away, put him into perspective for him that he is the breadwinner. He is the center of this whole family and friend dynamic where they are all reliant on him. And now everything is now coming to perspective for him. So if he goes out after a game in, you know, you know, at, uh, you know, at Atlanta is the next road game. Like if he goes out to a strip club in Atlanta, which is like, you know, something that NBA players do there, then like, then, then he has not understood, learned and changed his behavior in any way. And I think that that, and I think that that all plays into the decision of them to not stay on the road anymore. And it, it, it is the right decision. It's the only decision, but it's kind of embarrassing. Like if you're all these guys and you can't handle yourselves on the road like that, like what are you guys, the, you know, the, the JV team of like, you know, a state finalist and, and, you know, what, like, what are you guys doing? You're all supposed to be able to 
handle yourselves a little bit better than this, I would assume. But I mean, you're right. Like people will always defend them and say they're young kids. And I get that. We've, we've said that many times on the show. Like we don't, we don't hate on them or like think it's bad that they're going out and having fun. But at this point, the dynamic has changed and there's a lot more on the line. And if you go out now, you're saying something much more defiant and you're, you're saying that you have not learned or changed your behavior, in my opinion. What, what do I always say on this show, Matt? This is not a family. It's a bas- yeah. professional basketball team. And you have to comport yourself in a certain way that makes your team proud and your city proud and, you know, be there for your guys. Meanwhile, John Rant's not there for his guys right now because of his behavior. And I think that hurts the team and he should be called out for that. Doesn't mean he can't come back. From it. I had three real quick other points. Then we'll move on to our next segment. Although, you yeah. know, this was a long segment, but a very important one too, because yeah. it has the possibility, Matt, of defining not just this season of Memphis Grizzlies basketball, but if this doesn't shake out the right way, it could impact the next, you know, four, five, six seasons of Memphis Grizzly basketball if this doesn't Absolutely. shake out and get smoothed out. But I have three other real quick thoughts for you. God bless Tyus Jones. Yeah, yeah, big time. Well, I mean, what a, what a, you know. And also I was hearing that because he may miss enough games, John may not qualify or make an all-NBA team now. And, and that really hurts the extension. It would lose about 35 to 40 million, I believe, off the extension he just signed. If he doesn't make it all NBA teams, so that's something. And my other takeaway from this was LeBron James on the cover of Sports Illustrated at 16 years old and, and had to still be in the league. And, this, you know, he hasn't been perfect, but wow, he handled, you know, I mean, John Morant level of fame even three times that much to become the king. And he's really kind of handled himself pretty well. People didn't like the decision, whatever. But I just was thinking, like, God, man, like, I give LeBron a lot of credit. We see how some of these young kids have struggled. Anyway, that was my that's my takeaway. Let's move on to the next topic. And um, we hope John's doing well. We'll see him back in the court soon. But let's go to topic two for today. Okay, today's next topic, Climbing Corner. We're going to look back at the 2023 trade deadline where we saw some very high-profile names change teams either via trade or the buyout market. I read somewhere, Matt, that our Luke Kennard, our Luke Kennard, could be shaping up as the best move at the deadline, given some of the lukewarm results from the bigger stars like Kyrie and Katie. Of course, Katie being derailed by injury, nevertheless. How about Luke Kennard playing well the last uh, week or so, and how does that move feel for you now? I mean, I always loved it for sure. Like the the three-point shooting is something that we've – talked about literally since our first episode, like before the season started, like we were looking in the draft, like who is the best shooter? That should be the number one thing they're looking for. And that's what they went and got, even though like he was a guy that was not really on all of our radars, but like he is year over year, like one of the best shooters in the league. And since the all-star break, he's made 50% of his three point shots. I think some people are a little frustrated that he's not like averaging eight eight attempts a game or something like that. And I understand that. Like, I want to see him shoot the ball every time he touches it, too, especially in some of these other games, like, against, you know, the Houstons of the world where, like, we want to see him get integrated into the offense so much more. But, like, you know, Desmond Bain is is, is a great three-point shooter percentage-wise. But, again, like, people want to see him take more. And I think that that just comes back to, like, Taylor Jenkins isn't going to be a guy who's going to ask guys to shoot – 10 to 12 threes every single night. But for what they've gotten out of him, like I think it was a really good move. Danny Green was obviously shot, and they they made an upgrade for their shooting, which is something that I think all Grizzlies fans were knocking them for, was that they had to go and get some more shooting. 
and the front office obliged them and they got a really good shooter. So like from that, like it's an, it's an A grade for me. Um, the thing I worry about is like, once we get into the postseason, you know, where does he kind of fit in the rotation is it, you know, and the, the defensive part of it is big. He's not an awesome defender. He's a minus on that side of the floor and they're running out of guys that they can put on the floor and still hide on the, the other team's worst offensive player. You know what I mean? So it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see how the rest of the year, um, you know, unfolds for him. But it, as of right now, it's an A grade for me. And before you kind of tell me your thoughts on the deal, like, Looking forward, you know, we are in the climbing corner. We're going to we're going to we're going to throw around some other stuff as well, man. Like looking forward, would you be would you be shocked if he wasn't on the roster next year? Like it, it would would you would you would you could you see them removing him somewhere else in, in pursuit of another one of those three and D scoring wings like we've wanted, you know, and want them to go after this summer? Oof. I, I hope he's on the team. I really do. Yeah. But, you know, I was I was kind of sad we got rid of Grayson Allen, too, because every now and again he would yeah. catch fire. I, I mean, I always feel like we've been chasing shooting what feels like 400 years, you know, and and I don't like giving up on, on wings that can shoot the ball. And I like him. I wasn't, like, jumping out of my seat. I told you when they made the move at the deadline because I was hoping, fingers crossed, for a bit more of an impact player. Like we talked about, you know, Michael Bridges, but – but but Luke's been nice. A, a little over 20 minutes a game. I love the fact he's shooting close to 50% from three, getting a little more comfortable, moving the ball. I hope he's on the team of the next couple of years. Yeah, I think he'd be a nice piece for us. Defensively, they can maybe learn ways to hide him. But, you know, the last three games, 14 points, 13 points, 14 points. I'm totally fine with that. Um, gives him a nice shooter off the bench. And seems kind of like a team first guy, right? Like, yeah. kind of fitting in okay. And, uh yeah, I, I like them, uh, for, certainly for what they gave up. Now, when you, you know, looking into the summer, if we have to package him to make a move, you know, he has a, a pretty hefty salary or at least a salary we could combine nicely into, a you know, another move that matches the cost of doing business. But I'd give it an A as well. I think you look around the league. I mean, Durant to me is the big one that we just haven't seen because he got hurt. But the early returns were fantastic for Phoenix. The question is, is he going to be like revved up, ready to go with a brand new team when they, for four rounds of the playoffs? I don't know. Um, the Kyrie thing's kind of hot and cold. Dallas is floating around 500. Uh, you know, I thought the moves Denver made for their bench at the time we talked about it. I liked them. I'm not seeing a whole lot of production from Reggie Jackson and Thomas Bryant. A little disappointed with the Nuggets right now, that bench rotation. I mean, I, I do like the, the Wiseman move for the Pistons. Oh, you know, great to get a, move. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's 20, 21 years old. He's seven feet tall, 240 pounds. You know, he, he's uh, averaging 14 and, and, and almost 10. I mean, always loved 21 him. year old kid. Always loved him. It was a great pickup for them for the, for where that team is. And that's the whole thing is like, he was not ready to, to acclimate into the Warriors championship level, you know, aspirations, but Detroit where he can grow as a prospect and learn and like, there is not as much at stake for him in Detroit. Like he can fail and continue to learn from those failures in Detroit. And there's not as much on the line. Like they would, they would prefer for him to put up, you know, 25 points in a loss right now because it's helping them in the future way more so. So I I think that was a great move. The funny thing is I think both me and you would have called, I mean, it's hard to say that Phoenix wasn't the winner, but I think a close second, we would have both said Denver was mm-hmm. the winner at the deadline, but, um, and, and I, I still like their moves. I really like, 
I really like Thomas Bryant, Reggie Jackson, you know, I could take or leave. I, you know, I, I think they kind of got fleeced in the giving up a bonus Highland, but the team that shockingly like there has seen the most impact from their guys at the deadline has been the Lakers. Like those guys have really, really played well. And it's kind of, you know, at least kept them alive. We'll see what happens, you know, once we get, you know, if they have to come out of the play in or whatever, but like Jared Vanderbilt has been an absolute revelation for them. He has given them, you know, a huge defensive identity. Obviously Anthony Davis is their anchor when he plays, but like, He's been awesome, man. That was the one non-shooter I would have liked to see the Grizzlies go after was Vanderbilt because I just thought him and and Jaron Jackson would have been such a such a force defensively together. But I mean, I've always liked D'Angelo Russell. I know there's you know some heat checky kind of stuff, and I think at <laughs> times like he's not an awesome like team player, but like I like what he's been doing and how he's fit in to the Lakers, and like he's hit a lot of big shots for him. So like that is shockingly the Lakers. Uh, had a really good deadline looking back on it. But going back to the KD thing, like you said, man, it's just sad. Like, even if you're the biggest Grizzlies fan and they were, you know, set to meet each other in the first round, like if you if you said to me that you are happy that Kevin Durant's not playing because it makes it easier on the Grizzlies, I'd be like, dude, that you're just not a basketball fan. <laughs> I guess because like like I want to see that Phoenix team you know, full health and with all their guys. And I think that that would be really interesting and competitive second round series if we got that. And I want to see KD back in the mix, man. But as you said, and honestly, that was one of my points, like right at the deadline was like, it's going to be the playoffs of team chemistry versus, you know, team building at the day deadline, basically. Like is Phoenix going to have time to get acclimated to each other and like have the health necessary to make a run for a title or is a team like, Memphis or or um, Sacramento, who has been playing together all season and has a really good team chemistry, like can that just overcome the accumulation of stars? Things gonna be a really interesting playoffs to um, figure that out. Yeah, and and look at it. You know, we're talking about either guys are they going to stay healthy or are guys going to come back. I don't remember a playoff where so much was riding on health throughout the league. I mean, is Ja going to be fully ready to go for the playoffs? Everything's fine. We don't know for sure. We hope. What about Steven Adams for us? You know, Kevin Durant's been out. LeBron is out. You know, it's like, and then can Embiid stay healthy? He has a checkered history with, you know, uh, Curry missed some time. I mean, there's some enormous stars that are either playing and we're not sure. We're hoping that, yeah. that AD can stay healthy for the Lakers because when Anthony Davis is healthy, he's great. But we don't know. LeBron's coming back. Katie. So it's it's really interesting. Even the guys in Dallas, Kyrie and Luka, they've got to stay healthy and get in rhythm. So we're going to talk about the playoff matchups coming up. But it's really fascinating. And what might shake all of this out is who just is the healthiest all the way through who can maintain that regular rotation and, and their stars. And I don't think that's overly simplistic because sometimes you can lose a player and still overcome. You know, we've seen teams do it, but, but like, is Wiggins going to come back for the Warriors? That's a big yeah. if for them. Yeah. There's just a lot of, 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 of uh, players that we're going to find out between now and the start of the playoffs that could have a major impact in the way this, I mean, it's sort of exciting. I think, right. There's a lot of teams that, uh, that still have a chance. Uh, one, one final note on, on uh, the climate corner for me, was it was super intense, I thought, Matt, at the trading deadline. A lot of names thrown around. You go back to look at all the transactions, and there were quite a few. And it is interesting how many of them actually matter or, like, pivot a championship odds of a team, right? Not many. Most of them are kind of just the teams are kind of the same teams they were. I I don't see a lot of improvement. I thought Portland made some nice moves. They're terrible now. But you are right. 
The thing with the Lakers is that addition by subtraction, getting Russell Westbrook yeah. out of the building and getting some professional guys who are going to come together. I think AR-15 is a nice player for them. Given you know he's he's been really good. Uh, they're they're an interesting team that seems like a little more cohesive. And anyone who's played basketball knows that a collective can overcome the deficiencies of the individual sometimes. And I, I, you know, Westbrook's already been like a dicey fit with the Clippers here and there, right? But are you okay moving on to uh, our next segment? Uh, yeah, I was just going to add, yeah, it's, a, it's perfectly put. It's addition by subtraction. And they subtracted a guy in Russell Westbrook who did not know his role and was not accepting of his role. And they replaced him with a bunch of guys who understand their roles and have accepted that they are not the number one guy, that they are, you know, in short order you know, after LeBron and AD, like that is what matters. And these guys are plugging all the holes and that's how they succeeded post-deadline. Okay. Our next segment here on the core four, what's hot and what's not in the NBA and with our beloved Memphis Grizzlies, Matt, there are so many exciting storylines and big performances across the league. What is catching your attention? Yeah, this is going to hurt a little bit to admit. And I think uh, when we get done with this episode, the title of it may just be Matt rambles on and doesn't make a ton of sense, <laughs> just incoherently. But, you know, it's what I – Dave, you might have been right. And Joel Embiid is probably going to win the MVP because Philly has been one of the hottest teams over the, you know, the last 10 games, if you just want to look at, you know, uh, nine and one. Over that stretch, I believe, yes, correct, 9-1, and 10-3 since the All-Star break. And a team that I defend, a guy that I love in the Denver Nuggets have been ice cold, 5-5 five and five over the last 10, 7-6 and six since the All-Star break. Something is just broken with the Nuggets right now, and they've been very, very cold. And now the MVP race is completely flipped. I don't know, you know, the last time I looked at it, it was Embiid was like minus 200 on FanDuel or something like that. I don't think he's that prohibitive of, of a favorite, especially when you consider that they're going to play each other again in just um, a couple weeks, I believe. Uh, yeah, next Monday they're going to play each other at 930 on NBA TV, which is going to be a great matchup. But great as, of right, as of right now, if you had them dead even – Embiid completely destroyed the Nuggets in their first matchup. He dropped 47, I think, and really exposed Jokic as a weak defender. And now, you know, I, I think that Embiid is definitely in the lead. And it should be closer than it is. But, I mean, I, I look at the stuff like the odds and I say that, me, you know, Vegas is always smarter than all of us. And mm -hmm. so they know that it is not as close um then maybe there, what's I, their one goal what their one goal is it, vegas's one goal is to make money that's right that's right like they're not fans right yeah they, they want to yeah. make money that's why they're always smarter we, we have too much passion yes yes um so yes the philadelphia 76ers and joel Embiid red hot right now i still am not a huge believer of them in the playoffs as you talked about even just last week, like the top of the East is super interesting to me, but God, it's going to be a gauntlet if you don't have that one seed. And that's why I kind of lead towards Milwaukee getting out of there. Cause I think Boston and Philly, if they meet in the second round are just going to beat the hell out of each other for mm -hmm. six or seven games. Um, so I think Milwaukee has a huge advantage over there, but I mean, Philly's been awesome and they, they deserve a ton of credit way deeper than I would have ever expected coming into the season. Like they have a lot of bench guys that I really like shout out to our guy, DeAnthony Melton, obviously been a huge um, addition for them this season. 
And, uh, I, you know, I really like them as a good regular season team, and I want to give them some props. And as I said, the Nuggets just really struggling right now. Um, they only beat the Nets yesterday by like eight, I think it was, or seven, you know, in kind of a re- revenge spot where the Sunday prior they lost to them. Um, they won by six yesterday. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really know what's going on with the Nuggets right now, but ice cold. Um, you know, if I want to keep it Grizzly specific for a second, we also need to mention in terms of things that are red hot right now, Tyus Jones has been great the last two games. Uh, he had the, I believe it was his first triple-double of his career. If not, it's one of very few for sure, but that was great um, against the Spurs in that comeback. And then, you know, he follows that up with, I think it was 14 and 13 against, uh, yeah, 14 assists, 13 points against the Warriors. So Tyus has been awesome. And uh, as you said, like, thank God for Tyus. Like, if we didn't have him to kind of, like, right the ship right now, I don't even know who would be playing point guard. So credit to him. And, um, you know, I, I think that that, you know, we just got done with climbing corner. But I look at that, and I, I see a guy who should be a starter in this league and could be a really, really fun trade chip if you do bundle him with a guy like Luke Kennard, um, maybe even with a sign-and-trade with Dylan Brooks to go after another wing who can score and defend for you in this summer. Um, so, I mean, as much as I, as, as I just got done praising him, I'm trying to trade him. But I, it's a testament to how good Tyus has been um, and, and does not get the national credit he deserves as being such a solid, steady dude. Yeah, when, when we get uh, Xavier back, we should go through the league and see. When we, say, we always say he's the best backup point guard in the league. And which yeah. teams would he really be starting for? So it's a very interesting exercise. And, and, and certainly, though, when we talk about who's hot in the NBA, I had the exact same list here that you just said, the Sixers, and specifically Joel Embiid, the numbers just eye-popping over the last 10. I mean, he's been great all year, but the last 10, 36, you know, eight rebounds, uh, 4.6 assists, 2.3 blocks. And it looks like he really cares about this, too. Like, winning the MVP, he's all in. I, I really like watching him because I respect his passion. I do worry about the health. We just got done talking about that with some teams around the league. If he's healthy, they're going to be trouble. You know, my favorite, uh, when I was looking at the Sixers though today, I, I wish I had an, uh, the phone number to Tobias Harris's agent. And, I, you know, that would be fantastic because I, I could use someone helping me out because Tobias Harris makes $37.6 million this year, which is $4 million more than Joel Embiid. They're paying Tobias Harris more money than they're paying Joel Embiid. Boy, I'll tell you, the NBA – now, now, in fairness to Tobias, he had 24 on Saturday against Indiana. I mean, he's a high-level NBA basketball player. He's a very nice basketball player, but like, oh, my God. We're, we're living in a world, Matt, where Tobias Harris makes almost $38 million a year. And almost as crazier or maybe even crazier is that if you go back, the reason Jimmy Butler left Philly is because Philly picked Tobias Harris over him. Like, that's a wild thing that, like, yeah. that Philly was at least convinced enough to, to take him over Jimmy Butler. Uh, but, uh, did you have any any more thoughts, Dave? Because I, I had a couple other things I wanted to share before we got out of this segment. No, I, I'm good on on the Sixers and Embiid. They've been great. Uh, be, it'd be very interesting to see if they get the two seed. Uh, maybe they could push the one, but 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 the East seeding at the top. I had one more hot. I'll give you right here, and then, and I'll, I'll turn over. Yeah, the race go. for the number two seed in the West. Yeah is red hot right now between our Grizzlies and the Kings. I mean, they're both playing pretty good basketball, too. They're not limping to the finish line. The Kings, you know, they're 8-2 and two in their last 10. Uh, we're awaiting the return of Jai held the fork down here, as we talked about. But the reason it's so important, right, is you get that home court in the second round. 
you know, and it doesn't look like much of a margin. Who cares? Who cares? Well, I'd sure like that game seven at home in the second round if we had to. There's also some funny things at the bottom of that uh, Western play-in. I, you know, depending who gets the seven, who gets the six, you know, I would rather play the Mavericks and play the Warriors if, you know, so yeah. it's just interesting to see where we end up. I don't, I think we're too far behind Denver, but that race to the second seed in the West is really, really interesting. It could have a huge impact on the Western conference playoffs. Man, just up and down the West, there's so much like movement that could happen over these next couple of weeks before the playoffs start. Like, as you said, the play-in is, is by no means set. Uh, even Phoenix at four is like not impervious to falling into the play in. Um, it's just so loaded and stacked on top of each other. It's going to be hard to predict who's going to end up where, but we're going to do that in the next segment. But um, one other thing, I, this this is maybe more rambling and, and nonsense, but, you know, we just talked about the, the flip in the MVP race and now Joel Embiid is the favorite. Like, I, I think I think there is just a level of boredom that happens when we get. And, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily true of the MVP race. Joel Embiid has been great and, and deserves to have passed Jokic at this point. But when I think about the changes that we've seen also in the defensive player of the year race, like Brooke, Brooke Lopez has had a couple of good weeks, but now he's favored to win defensive player of the year as well. Like, I think that they're, I think they're, again, he has a great candidacy. He's had a great defensive season. But, like, Jaron's been consistent the entire year. He's been a great defender. And I think that Jaron just fell victim to being, like, the favorite for so long. Like, we had basically already given him the award. And now people and voters get bored and they want to change things up. They want to, you know, be able to create debates on shows and stuff like that. And now Brooke Lopez is magically the defensive player of the year um, leader. And I think Jokic may have fell victim to that slightly. I still think Embiid deserves to be first in the MVP race. But I just think it's very interesting that the, the the voting and the and the races for awards this season, it seems like it was counterproductive to jump out to a hot lead because it, it, it's really all about who is going to finish really strongly over these next couple of weeks, and that's how you're going to win these awards. That could very well be the case. It, it, sports writers love stories, right? Yeah. Podcasters like telling stories. And, you know, it, it's an interesting story when a player starts picking up momentum as the season goes along. But also, you know, again – I don't want to go back to the winning three in a row. You know, I'm not really on board with that. The Nuggets have the fourth best record in the league. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like the 73 win Warriors. You know, this isn't the Bulls, you know, going for their second three-peat. I just, I, I just don't understand how he's going to win three straight MVPs. And if, if, if he does, on, on a team like the Nuggets, it's like the fourth or fifth best record in the NBA and he's going to lose in the second round. I, I just, yeah. it just, it drives me crazy, Matt, because I do love the history of the league and MVPs right or wrong they mean something to me and if you were starting a team today and drafting I don't know that I would pick Embiid because everybody I mean Giannis is the best player in the world mm-hmm. and, and and the Bucks are 51 and 20 why is yep. he not the, the runaway MVP uh, I don't know in the NBA I don't know yeah yeah I'm totally with you and, and maybe that was the answer to my question last week like who is the Jordan of this generation who like we all agree is the best player but doesn't is not going to end up with as many MVPs um one other thing before we get out of this, talking about the MVP and, and, and you know, whatever, looking back on legacies afterwards, like, I think Joel Embiid is set up for just as much criticism if they lose in the second round as Jokic would be as well on his side. Like, Embiid has had a lot of – and it's not all his fault. Like, the Ben Simmons era obviously had its own problems, and Doc Rivers has some baggage as well. But, like, if they lose in the second round, 
And, and, you know, who knows? Maybe they even play the Heat in the first round and have a really tough series. It's hard to say at this point, but, like, if they lose and, and Joel Embiid is the MVP, like, I, I, I would have similar criticisms that, like, yeah, he's awesome and all this stuff, and he's a great, strong um, – and, and, and especially if you th- – if he gets hurt again in the playoffs, it's like, yeah, all right, mm-hmm. you're the best regular season player in the NBA over this amount of time. But like, what does that do for you? Exactly. Like yeah. you said, like, like you have to win at some point and, and it, it is a regular season award, but the postseason plays into the way we remember them. And, and I think that Embiid will have a, a tough time escaping any blame if he wins the MVP and they lose in the second round. I think that's perfectly said. I did have one more not hot, Right now in the NBA, yeah. we'll move on. Yeah. Uh, if you are one of those individuals that subscribes to League Pass, it is not hot right now. Because remember, all the big games, they're on NBA TV, they're on ESPN, they're on ABC. I mean, right now in League Pass, there's a lot of Indiana at Charlotte's. Tomorrow night, we got the you know the Detroit, Atlanta, New Orleans hosting the Spurs. Ugh. Washington's at Orlando. I mean, the NBA's got a lot of, of, of games towards the end of the season that become a tough watch unless you are in fantasy basketball or you are a diehard like fan duel player and you got, you know, 50 bucks on the Hornets tonight. Yeah. Thank God that we cover a team that's in the playoff race. The Grizzlies are an interesting team. Thank God. <laughs> Let's go to our last segment, the crystal ball. I know it's such a creative name, but, but it should be a good segment. We're going to take a look ahead and predict the playoff matchups in Eastern and Western conferences. Not what we want to see, but rather what we expect to see come playoff time. So, Matt, let's start with the East. What four matchups do you expect to see once we get to the playoffs and through the play-ins? Yeah, I don't know. The the thing that I struggle with so much when I look at the East is I keep waiting for Miami to make their run and, like, pass the Nets, who now are kind of decimated without having KD and Kyrie and everything that happened post-deadline for them. But every time I think that the Heat are about to get it together and make a good run, they, they, they lose like a random game um, to somebody that they shouldn't lose to. And I think that they're a dangerous team. As you, you know, you mentioned Spolcher earlier. Like that is a team that if they had, you know, a top four seed, if, if they could make a run to that at the end of the season, like I think they would be pretty dangerous. And I think that everybody looks at them as a dangerous team to a top seed coming out, um, you know, in the first round. And and maybe that's the case, but every time I see them, I just become more and more frustrated. I will say I, I like Indiana a lot, and you have crushed the Bulls many times on this show, so I hope that Indiana can replace them in that play-in. I think the play-in would be a really fun matchup um, if it is a Toronto, uh, you know, and, and, and or, in, uh, you know, an Atlanta-Indiana play-in game, I think could have a lot of really fun, like, high level moments of getting up and down the floor so there's there's a ton of great playoff matchups that I want to see but I really just don't see much changing other than like that Miami Brooklyn flip and it depends I guess on 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 how far like Brooklyn could really fall but I really just had kind of have it as it is right now other than that Brooklyn Miami spot like I don't trust Atlanta I, you know that's been an up and down thing all season long but I look at it right now, Dave, and I think we have all the right teams where they're supposed to be when we think about the, the you know, when we look back at the end of the season uh, and, and what these teams have showed us. At the beginning of the season, you would have said Miami was a top four to five team, but they haven't showed it all year. They deserve to be in the play-in because that's how they, that's what they've showed us this season. So I, I, so I don't when see. Play, when the playoffs start, though, who do you have at the seven and the eight? 
yeah, I, I, I would lean Brooklyn moves down and becomes the seven. Mm-hmm. Miami moves up into the six, and Atlanta stays pat at eight. Would be okay. where I have it right now. Okay, so the other one we got. What about the Sixers, Celtics in the two three? I, I think, I think it stays firm. Boston has been scrambling, and like they have some real problems as well. That's that. Um, it, it's really their closing group that they can't figure out. Really, they've blown a ton of fourth quarter leads and have not been finishing games super well. So, like, I think that Philly – and Philly's shown us, as we just got done talking about, like, they're just decimating teams, and I don't see that in, that stopping by the end of the year. As you said, Joel Embiid's taking the MVP super seriously, so he knows that he has to perform well in every game to win it. If he performs well in every game, then they're going to win a lot of games, and I think they're going to be the two seed, and I think they deserve to be. And, and I think it's going to be a real, real dogfight between those two in the second round. No, it'd be fantastic. It'd be fantastic. We have a little bit of a different uh, playoff seating here. I do, of course, Milwaukee won. I think Toronto is going to get the AZ. I like the way the Raptors have played since the Yaka Pertle trade. Okay. I, if it would stay this way, I think they would win the 9-10 matchup, and then I think they would beat Atlanta uh, to get into the playoffs. So I had Milwaukee playing Toronto in the first round. I just think, I think they're sort of well-coached, and, and I, like, I, like, I like the trade for Pertle. Uh, I, I can see a good Milwaukee-Toronto first-round series. Uh, I, I also have the Celtics at the two, the Sixers at the three. I looked at the schedules, Matt. I think the Celtics have a slightly easier schedule. Uh, dates with Atlanta, Utah, Indianapolis, San Antonio. I, I just like the Celtics' schedule a little better, but I could be way off there, the, the red-hot Sixers, as we talked about. And I do think you were right on the mark. I think Miami's going to jump to six. Brooklyn's going to drop to seven. And they're going to give someone a, a real real fight in that first round. If it's Philly-Miami, that's a good series. If it's yeah. Boston-Miami, that's a good series. Jimmy Butler and, and Bam Adebayo, they have they have shooters. They have a good coach, good culture. That would be a real dangerous lower seed in East. I mean, the Cleveland Knicks series, we're not really talking about it because it's sort of locked in, we feel, right? But mm. that's, a, that's a great yeah. first-round series. Oh, yeah. Uh, of, uh, right? Of, of, like, all NBA talent. And great crowds in New York and the Knicks are, you know, a, a fun story. So anyway, I think uh, in a future episode coming up, we'll, we'll you know, go through and make our predictions. But there's still some things to be played out here. The interesting thing is, does any of it matter? Because are we still going to get, you know, Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, Cleveland in the second round anyway? Right. Is, are there any true upset? I think there are. I think the Knicks can win a series. I think the, I think the Heat can win a series. And, and that's probably the only two. Yeah, I agree with you, and I, I, I think you're you're right on the money. We, I, we should, that should be getting talked up way more. Is Cleveland, New York in the first round would be an awesome series. Brunson against Garland, uh, obviously Donovan Mitchell was rumored to be going to the Knicks the whole time, and ends up in right. Cleveland, and, and instead, there's a ton of storylines there. But just the basketball itself, J, uh, Julius Randle going head to head against a guy like Evan Mobley, who's a young player who can prove himself in a in his you know, first real playoff experience, like that would be a, a, a series full of great storylines and great basketball, I think. We, we, we would sign up for seven there, right? That's a really, oh, yeah. good, really good matchup. Yep. Oh, yeah. And, and whoever wins that four or five, they can push Milwaukee. I mean, you know, again, Milwaukee's not, you know, the, 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 the 97 Bulls. I mean, they're right, a good right. team. You know, not the 86 Celtics. They're a good team, but, but they can be pushed. Especially, I think Cleveland can because they have a ton of length to throw at a, a at a big front court in Brook Lopez and 
uh, Giannis, obviously, and they're very switchable. So, like, you know, even though Brooke Lopez is a 3 and D type guy, like Evan Mobley can still give you fits on the perimeter and, and make you work for it. Jared Allen can kind of bang bodies with Giannis. Like, they have a really good defensive lineup to throw at those bucks. So let's take uh, a look at the Western Conference. Matt, I'll go first here. And I have Denver, of course, winning the West. And I have them matched up against the eight-seed Lakers. I just think that there's been so much drama around the Lakers this year, but it's been, like, kind of fun, you know, getting Westbrook out. LeBron's hurt. He's coming back. You mentioned the trade deadline acquisitions, which which really improved the team. It feels like they're going to be in the playoffs. And, and, yeah. and the playoffs are more fun when LeBron James is in the playoffs. The Laker brand – and I think Denver Lakers would be a really, really fun. You can't tell me that Denver's going to smoke them in four straight at the way Denver's playing right now. Yeah, no, definitely not. I think they would give them fits, and it's very similar to, like, the Embiid versus Jokic thing. Yeah. Like, Anthony Davis has the potential to really give Jokic fits when the Nuggets have the ball, and also Anthony Davis can score and get to the rim on Jokic. Um, at a high level and just putting him in pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll with LeBron and AD coming downhill at him. Like the Nuggets would struggle for that for sure. I think that's a great first round match, but I, I do. I think the Lakers uh, are going to, are going to get the eight seed at number two. I think the Grizzlies are going to get the, the second seed mm. by a game or two over Sacramento. And I'll tell you why, Matt, I think, I think it's funny to say we're a very young team, but I think we have the edge and experience in playing some high pressure games with this group of guys, you know, the Kings, I mean, they haven't made the playoffs since, you know, uh, you know what, 17 years or so. And what a wonderful story. But I, I think Memphis is going to get that two seed by a game or two because of the edge of experience, the team uh, that's played together, gone to the Western semis. And I think they're going to get Golden State in the first round. It just seems like it's destined. And that's going to be a fun two, seven matchup that drops Sacramento to the three seed uh, against six Dallas. And then uh, the Suns and the Clippers, Matt, I, I had them 4-5. It could be 5-4. I don't love it at all the way Phoenix is playing now. But I think those are the 4-5 teams. And, and God, if, that, if we could just get health for both of those teams, it would be must-watch television, right? You couldn't yeah. take your eyes off that series. Yeah, I mean, this might be the, the best year for 4-5 matchups in a long time. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. There's no question. And again, let's say the Nuggets get past that first round. They play Phoenix in the second round. I'll tell you, Denver for a number one seed could have a lot of potholes all the way to the finals uh, if they don't have their, you know, their their SHIT together. Right. Yeah. Things have definitely fallen to where, like, they're going to have a tough road. And honestly, like even past the four or five matchup interest, like. Think about all the years where it was like Cleveland was the number one seed and they were playing the, the magic and it was a five, one gentleman yep. sweep every year. Like I think, you, you know, you talk about Lakers, Denver, and we, you know, we just talked about, you know, Miami and whoever that two seed is like, even some of the first round series, I think are going to be incredibly competitive all across the league. I just have a hard time. I, I, I think Minnesota is so incentivized to win after everything that they did to go all in to like make a playoff run this year, um, you know, and then they, they try to kind of adjust their roster, bring in Mike Conley to like make up for the fact that Rudy Gobert doesn't really make any sense with this roster, Anthony <laughs> Edwards. And honestly, OKC very much the same, like Anthony Edwards and Shea Gilgis Alexander have shown us that they have the potential to be the best guy on the floor for a single playing game type of deal. And I, I think they have that, Ability, But when you look at those teams, seven through 10, it's hard not to pick the Lakers and the Warriors 
just from a you know a branding standpoint. You want to see those teams, as you said, the the NBA playoffs are just going to be more fun with LeBron in it. So I'm I'm with you uh, at the bottom there. I actually do think the Clippers will pass Phoenix, as you said. They've looked a little bit shaky, and I have Memphis uh, moving. Uh, uh, you know, obviously we're biased, but like I think Sacramento has kind of a sneaky harder schedule than Memphis does. I think Memphis's schedule lines up a little bit better, but it you know again goes back to like the health and the and the job Morant return thing, like all, all that matters so much when we look at how they're going to finish the season for sure. But yeah, I, I think, I think it's going to be Lakers eight, Warriors seven, you know, and Dallas right there at six. And then, yeah, the four or five could go either way, but it's going to be an awesome series no matter what. I can't wait for the playoffs to start, man. That, just, just talking about all these different matchup opportunities yeah. is making it so much fun. And we kind of skipped past the play-in, you know, we mentioned it a little bit, but I think the play-in is going to be, you know, one of the best years we've had of it so far. Like, there's really good teams in there. As you mentioned, Toronto, Atlanta, Miami, all over the, you know, all in contention right there. And then, like we said, the Warriors and the Lakers um, going to be fighting it out as well on the other side. And I, I think it's going to be really, really a good really point fun. about the Timberwolves. So that, that's why sports is not just like the stand, you know, the black and white standings, the statistics. The Timberwolves have a lot invested in this season. That's yeah. a very good. That's a very very important point you make, though. Whereas Oklahoma City's probably thrilled to be thirty five and thirty six and have this future. They didn't right, even have right, Chet right. Holmgren this year. Right. You know the second pick in the draft, and Gilgis Alexander looks like a Hall of Famer. I mean, Josh Giddy's like a sixteen and nine every night. Every time you look up, Lou Dort's playing well. And they're a fun team. You know, Xavier loves Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams, uh, yeah. Shout one out. of the two of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but, I mean, not almighty. They're a they're a really fun young team. If you were a Thunder fan, you gotta feel really encouraged about the next couple of years. But Minnesota, to your point, they 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 need this sort of right, and and there is a collective mindset there that maybe I'm wrong with my scenes. Maybe they sneak into the eight because that organization is under a lot of pressure. I don't think it's impossible. I, I yeah, they they are absolutely incentivized to win. You yeah. know, whereas like OKC or even, you know, you think about like where Portland was, um, you know, and now have kind of bowed out of the race altogether, like Minnesota more than anybody, they have no reason but to try to go for it. And like in a one game, you know, one off play in whatever type of setting, you know, if Rudy Gobert can have a really good defensive night against an Anthony Davis and, you know, Anthony Edwards, as we know, is an irrational confidence guy that could put up 35 and a play in, you know, and and they're not going to be scared yeah. of anybody. So, like, it's super interesting, man. I, I really, really am looking forward, especially to the play in. Where, where do you kind of stand as like a historian of the game and a guy who really, you know, leans old school at times? Do you like the play in or is that something that you wouldn't have thought they were going to keep around? I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Uh, changes like that are fine. You know, hockey's got kind of a goofy thing with the you know the the, the wild card teams, and it, it's fine. I, I don't like more to the point. I don't like how Major League Baseball's expanded so many teams into the playoffs, yeah. or the NFL's now got like it feels like everybody in the conference is a wild card. If you don't, you know, the NFL I, I didn't like adding all the all the wild cards. Uh, I thought it devalued the regular season a little bit, but but anyway, I, you know. I don't want to be that get off the lawn guy, you know, where I, I think it's fun. At the end of it, though, we only end up with eight teams in right. each conference. Right, and, exactly. You know, right. And so um, I, I would be hard pressed if I lived to be 100 years old to see an eight seed go all the way to the NBA finals and win it. So there's probably a lot of consternation when we talk about this because it's fun to have playoff basketball. 
But they, these teams, you know, the only exception could be this year with the Warriors and the Lakers because right. LeBron's done it and the Warriors are the defending champions. So maybe there will be occasional times where the playing team, because of injuries or whatever the case may be, is positioning for a deep run. Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously for teams like the Lakers and the Warriors right now, a run to the finals is all that matters to them. But look at like what, you know, this is a weird comparison, but going back to the March Madness thing, like the Fairleigh Dickinson kids don't care that they're not going to the Sweet 16. They picked off a number one seed. If you're OKC this year and you make it in to the first round and you take down Denver, even if you lose in the second round, that's still a great run that you're always going to look back on and be like, oh, yeah, that was kind of where we started to, like, get our playoff chops. And that's a team that's always remembered. People always remember that team that took down, um, you know, the number one seed Dallas, that Warrior, the We Believe Warriors and stuff like that. Like, the, the, you don't necessarily have to win a title to be remembered in history. And I think that it does, um, you know, it makes it a fun aspect to not know who you're going to line up against. Well, well, what Xavier just mentioned last week, when Xavier Tillman Sr. hit the three against Golden State in the play-in, right. you know, and then we won game one at Utah, and, and we still, we didn't win the series, lost the series four to one, but it, but it did feel like the start of something. I, I got to tell you, when, when Tillman hits the three and we won that play-in game in Golden State, and, and like we were literally jumping around the living room, like my wife, my stepson, we were watching a game like – it was so exciting and you know, it was just to make the playoffs. Right. And so yeah. like, these, these games, we shouldn't trivialize it. If like, for example, Minnesota doesn't have the NBA finals in their future. There's a lot of Timberwolves fans out there that would mean a lot to them sharing that time with their families is why we love sports. Right. It, it, it brings communities together and it's a lot of fun. I think the playoffs are going to be fantastic, but I also am excited for the draft uh, lottery. I'm excited for the draft, which is my favorite night of the year. The, the playoffs, the, the summer league's coming up. It's it's going to be – we got a, a fun next couple months. Yeah, absolutely. But, yes, the, the Minnesota fans, the playing wins definitely mean a lot to them. Just ask Pat Beverly, right? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Matt, uh, please plug your socials here as well as the show's information. Yeah, what at Matt H. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get all my stuff at Matt H. Gill on Twitter. Follow the show page at the Core 4 Podcast. Excuse me, at the Core 4 Podcast is our show's page, and then check out at Bluff City underscore media. That's where you're going to find all that written content that you guys have always known, um, you know, us to follow as well uh, for pregame, postgame written stuff, as well as a bunch of great Tigers uh, news and notes as well on there. So check out Bluff City Media. Sign up to be an insider and get all that great content. Thank you. And uh, you can find me at DLB19338. Xavier will be back next week, which will be great. Don't forget to check out the core for each Tuesday because we're going to post, I think, Matt, each Tuesday now, right? Yep, that's right. Yep, so we'll be each Tuesday at Bluff City Media. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, let's hope for a great week as we continue to jockey for playoff positioning. Definitely some winnable games. And we want to thank you for tuning in and being part of the Core Four, the show for the hardcore Memphis Grizzlies fans. Stolen by Morant. Hammer. Nail. Coffin. This baby is over.